Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. party decorations that that was quite a new year's party if yeah I say so. yeah that was good i haven't had that in a while jesus why do we have so yeah, much stuff right? though yeah for real you know what honestly after not being able to have parties for so long and after zero new covid cases in uncanny yeah County, it is really good to just you know really go all out on a party like just you know just everybody just being real close, just mm-hmm. dancing. And, yeah. You know, when, you know, when, when it struck midnight, just, you just start making out with everybody. Nobody gives a flying, um, what's, what's a nicer word that starts with F? Flamingo? A, no one gives a flying flamingo. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> just, yeah. I'd say pretty, pretty wild and crazy New Year's. What, um, but, you know, after having so much time alone with ourselves and alone with our thoughts in 2020, um, like, do you think people will have resolutions the way they normally do? I feel like Ooh. we learned a lot about ourselves this past year. Yeah. And now we know if you are really left home alone will you work out more will you read more Mm. will you actually use your sourdough starter not 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 to come down on amateur (laughs) bread makers being myself as am i i i saw a thing that said no one can ever say that they'll take that they could easily um take a hundred thousand dollars to go live in the woods for a week alone or something because clearly that didn't work out uh, for lots of people staying home. <laughs> but that's interesting. I didn't think about that in terms of a resolution, like where you always have the sort of the gym memberships or whether you're going to have a mm-hmm. new hobby. And like, oh, we, the, oh, gy- every, every gym is, uh, you know, like, c- completely destroyed in, in the, oh, yeah. this new world. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. The gyms, I mean, the gyms and buffets are now, you know, have been laid waste too. I'm not as mad about the buffets because honestly, who thought of that idea? Well, actually, hold on. I'm I will say, I be- will say, Joseph, that <laughs> I regret my statement. I will miss sweet tomatoes. Did you? Do you have okay. sweet tomatoes in New Jersey? No, I've I've never heard of that. So in other markets, this is very this is a very questionable thing. But in other markets, it's known as soup plantation. What oh. I will say though is it incredible buffet Mm, you know chain of buffet like actually some of the best chicken noodle soup i've ever had oh all right yes yes and just like you just the giant sat you start with a giant salad and Mm. you just just slurp up soup and bread and brownies until you just roll out of there and you know what and they all completely went under 
Oh gosh. During during <laughs> during Jesus. the early months of the quarantine. Oh, I'm gonna be contradicting yeah. to my own statement and and um take it back for the sake mm. of buffets offer bang for your buck for lots of people that need that. And so maybe that is an important thing to keep in mind. So we're learning things. Talk- yeah. The thing is though, I don't think at least in my experience, all you can eat buffets very yeah. rarely in college towns. Interesting, yeah. I think they have some idea that that's a bad investment, that yeah. it is a challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of. Do you remember For, the Japanese yeah. buffet we went to a few times in with everybody? In Florence? In Florence, yeah, not here. Yeah, that that, that really seems that really seems forever ago. I I yeah, I can only I can only imagine one the increased racism towards Asian people in Italy, plus oh, God, yeah. their completely wrecked economy. I can you know my my heart can only go out to people that own a Japanese buffet in Florence, Italy. Yeah. Yeah, they were mm-hmm. super cool too. That was such a good place. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's um that's one thing I feel like I took more of an approach on to was just to like cook more and learn about like, I guess trying to take care of yourself, but also like understanding that not every day is going to be a good day and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is something yeah. that's not always like, I think in, in our smile culture or don't be sad and be positive, we forget that mm-hmm. it's like, Hey, um, sometimes we're sad and that's fine, you know, as long yeah, as you're not. Yeah, it's just, it's just a normal part of being to have yeah. the ups and downs. I think, I think there's something wrong with you if you hit a constant too much. Not, no, oh, not, I shouldn't say there's something <laughs> wrong with you. I think it is, it, it's like, I shouldn't say that. I just think mm-hmm. that you're, I don't know what type of experience it is to be just, flatlining your way through life and yeah to not experience ups and downs whether that is a life too safe or yeah. that is just you know a something without challenge right it'd be kind of mundane after a while too or just very like repetitive but well, i mean i think i, I think that's the, the that's the homogeny that's the the same as it ever was same as it ever was <laughs> yeah. this is not my beautiful house this is not my beautiful <laughs> wife let's <laughs> go by that is always living rent free in my head during this period really though honestly talking heads has really come through for me yeah uh, in this last in this last couple of months i'm i'm loving that people are rediscovering mm. talking heads and just what a weirdo david burns is yeah um, weird but uh yeah like um stop making sense has really kept me company especially in the last month just mm. i will listen to that all the way through nice yeah i i feel that honestly i feel like that's mm-hmm. the collective agreement that this has been the most confusing depressing and Mm. just like i don't even know the words for it like everybody has this sort of understanding that this has been rough right that the past year was rough mentally and physically Mm -hmm. and complex so i think that i think that it it's comforting in a way I think even for me, like in the beginning when we were like in lockdown, 
in mm-hmm. Florence, which I could mm-hmm. not in the beginning get over the painful irony to the Decameron. But like, you know, <laughs> that it was like. Did you like, see that they published a new edition of the Decameron? No, no, I didn't. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I'm going to read it one of these days. But for it's right good. now, it's just it's it, it, it's, it's just a little close too to close to home. Yeah. Well, like I, one of the. Yeah, first... but yeah, that's, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you go in one second. I'm just going to say that. I think we are unsure of what to do with this experience artistically. Yeah. No oh, one no, God, no yeah. one is no one is sure what the good art will be of this era cuz I don't feel no. like it will I don't feel like much will age well. No. I I don't even know if we'll <laughs> be able to fully process this for a while. Like I mean th- this is this is an unhelpful comparison but if you look at the majority of the music that was made in response to 9-11, mm. it's almost all pretty terrible. And, yeah, you know, it, it's you look at it now and you realize maybe there was an earnestness that we were willing to accept from celebrities back then that we just won't accept now. Yeah, but really like the rising to me at least only works as, <laughs> as i mean one because it's bruce springsteen but it is a yeah. really solid album of bruce processing 9-11 because i feel like he also does highlight all of the other things that were neglected mm-hmm. in the wake yeah. of 9-11 and the uh just the the erosion of trust and confidence in America, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that, I, I, that I, I don't think a lot of other people had where, you know, the Eagles are just singing. There's a hole in the world tonight. <laughs> yeah, there's, I'm not convinced that with our next, let's give it a five year turnaround that that um, there's going to be some really, really in depth and well done artworks. Both you don't think you, you don't know, think uh, the Biennale is just going to be chock full of paintings of people. I'm with worried. Masks on you uh, worried? Well, I I know that would never happen at the Venice yeah. Biennale. I wouldn't put it past the Whitney Biennial mm. to do that. But Ooh. like, let me let me be blunt. You know, in okay. the, in the in my almost finished degree of a master's of fine arts. You're almost a master. I'm almost a master, so yeah, what, watch out. So, so watch hit, out us, world. hit us with that hard-hitting opinion. Oh, yes, because I can do that, I guess, even though mm-hmm. I'm always contradictory of myself. But in this case, <laughs> I won't be. <laughs> if you're painting pictures or images of people in masks and that's considered deep or woke, consider how people who are actually experiencing it feel that actually have to kind of go through that. I don't get... I don't think now is the time to be a realist painter in the way of trying to photograph literally or depict literally depict everything. it. Because there's a feeling that everybody has within a traumatic situation that comes out. And it won't mm-hmm. come out, I think, the way mm-hmm. that people want it to. I think it's going to come out in a way more unique way. Because, like, I... I was always super, like, I guess, hesitant of people that mm-hmm. were overtly positive on a situation like this. Because there's mm-hmm. something about false hope that just frustrates me. Mm-hmm. However, 
I think in terms of art, it's a great time to rethink and re-learn. Yeah, because I think you you have to look at this as an opportunity to reevaluate the way yeah. that we treat that art. Because even the way that we are going to wince and roll our eyes at some yeah. very obvious art that very literally depicts these things, you know, paintings yes. of doctors and nurses, like you know, yeah. It, the thing is. The, the the fact of the matter is we live in a world of a an art market. Yeah, that that's the thing. You are taking and commodifying the image mm-hmm. in in a way that when in, in a way that unfortunately it capitalizes and you know kind of you know the, it comes from a sincere place. I don't want to get away from. The oh, fact sure. that there are very sincere, earnest people that are otherwise talented that are making these paintings that just do not come off right or yeah. making just art in general about the pandemic that just does, does not seem to... Um, I think the reason it's not translating right is we do not yet have a language for what is going yeah. on right now. That it yes. might take years for us to mm-hmm. understand this. Like, granted, I was a lot younger during this period of time, but like, I never really saw something that captured the mood of the early two thousands until I saw Lady Bird. You know? Oh, interesting. And I was yeah. just like, suddenly, I saw. I saw so much more about that period of time than I had ever really thought about because one, I was very young and you know, the parts Mm -hmm. that I remember happened a few years after that, but the, um, you know, the proto 2010s hipsters, (laughs) the, um, trying to remove yourself from your own privilege by focusing on something else. Like basically yeah. Timothy Chalamet's character. Yeah, um, literally. Cause, Cause we all knew somebody like that. Yeah. Um, but we couldn't help but want to be them too. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting take. Yeah. But also, also to your point, like we, unfortunately this, this thing, it also, anytime you want to say, we are going to make it. Mm-hmm. People are now very aware that that, even if you say we, that does not mean everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that is what we're running into. Like if we wind back the clock just a little bit, even though it feels like a century ago, do we remember, do you remember the year 2016? <laughs> yeah, vaguely. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, like, like 2019, maybe there were signs that things were going a certain way and we didn't realize it until it was too late. But in 2016, hmm. around the time Trump got elected, there was there there were kind of two there were kind of two voices you would hear of the people who were trying to be optimistic about yeah. The, the the reality once it was setting in that okay the electoral college is going to elect trump right and there were older people that were in the left that said okay 
we survived, we meaning the left, leftist culture, progressive, liberal ideology, whatever, you know, of, mm-hmm. of varying stripes. We survived fascism. We survived the McCarthy era. We survived Ronald Reagan. We're going yeah. to survive this too. Right. But there was also a a pushback against that also within that progressive community saying, um, a lot of people didn't survive, you know? Yeah. A a almost an entire generation of LGBT people died yeah. in the AIDS crisis non-white communities especially affected by the AIDS crisis so many people put in jail uh during civil rights so many people uh killed and the cops didn't investigate their deaths mm-hmm. um there were a lot of people that didn't make it and didn't get to live to see history validate them yeah and that that you know is also a valid point that we yes we will survive and there will be life and celebration and good things that happen in a in a post trump world and hopefully the world will continue to progress and society will continue to progress and you know by by all measures that probably what will happen just maybe not in the as quickly as we would like or in the ways we would like but people will be left behind in that old world the world will end for them and it will keep going for other people Mm -hmm. and a lot of that is based on luck a lot of it's based on privilege and some other ineffable thing yeah and I think that's what that that, that is what we that is what we end up with. That is our disconnect. That when we say we, who do we mean? Yeah, that's an important question. This kind of ties back to that aspect of working within the art mm-hmm. world too. Who is the we, mm-hmm. and who are you trying to talk about? Um, mm-hmm. There's this. There's this good. Um, I think word that comes to mind that I hear used a lot is authenticity mm-hmm. and being authentic to both yourself and kind of using that as your springboard to make work. Mm-hmm. And it's very important, I think, because mm-hmm. your voice, I guess, within your own artwork will come out. It, take it from somebody who's changed mediums a million times and still hasn't mm-hmm. figured out what I actually like to make. It doesn't necessarily matter. It's the intention and it's the how it, how your authenticity kind of transforms that. But going into what you were kind of explaining, yeah, it's unfortunately like that mentality of like, okay, well, we'll get through it. Mm-hmm. It's... I don't think it's as crystal clear as people want to make it out to be in a lot of the yeah, cases. You and, know, and I, don't, I don't I don't think it can be. I mean No, no. Um Yeah. I don't, well I don't I, think I'm it's glad easy. I'm glad that we're already, you know, really challenging the volunteers that we uh brought down. Yeah. Hey, okay, can you guys I, I see you holding those heavy boxes full of uh decorations and here, let's we're, we're out of room in this storage room. We're gonna have to go to this yeah. sub basement. Every everybody get in the freight elevator. Yeah. Oh god, yeah, I always yeah. hate Everybody this thing. in in god.
Oh god, that door is so freaky. Ugh. Yeah, I, I hate Fright Night. Yeah. Um, did I ever tell you about uh, when I worked at the Cottonwood Club in Bozeman, Montana? I don't think so. Yeah, it was kind of like this, where it's like, you know, just this this basement room. Um, it was like an old industrial building, and there was this concrete basement. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, not a huge space, but this guy I knew, he uh, started like an art collective community thing. He wanted to rent it out a studio space, but then it would be used as a gallery. Weird. Okay. Yeah. And then we would have um uh art events and shows down there. Huh. Yeah, and it was it was so cool, but also so sketchy because like you're in a yeah. concrete basement with only one tiny narrow staircase in and out like a hundred people or more crammed into this little space down underground. Right. You've got like a punk band playing. One time oh we God. had an erotic masquerade. Um, oh. You have just, you know, regular art events. And then there's like someone giving a bondage hmm. demonstration in the corner. <laughs> what? what? There's a, there's a couple just like kind of kissing, humping in the, on the back oh. door. Um, the way okay. that we had to get the drum sets and the, um, and the musical equipment down was we had to put them in this old freight elevator. And it was Jeez. one of those ones that you had to time it to press stop when it got to the floor that you wanted. So you had to like oh, be wow. watching, watching it and trying to get the floor level. Um, huh. This whole thing was such a fire hazard. And then they were also kind of, they did not have a liquor license, so what they would do was oh. give out free beer with a suggested $2 donation. Um, for some reason, they made me the bouncer one time, you know, all five foot seven of me. <laughs> and oh. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You can take them. I feel like you'd be a good bouncer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a time. It was a time. Yeah. Uh, great, great experience. But, you know, just... You just have that moment where you're having fun. You're like, this is cool. And then you just have that thought. What if something bad happened? Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, the the sub-basement looks still pretty packed full of storage. We'll have to go to the sub-sub-basement. Oh, not the sub-sub-basement. Oh, I God. Know. I've never that's been this far. We, that's where we store all the really weird, obscure stuff. Oh, gosh. You, you haven't been? I don't think I've been this far down yet. Mm, yeah. Well, you know, like, really, museums only have so much of their collection on display at one time. Oh, true, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one, because not everything is expensive to display things. That is true, it is. These also, I'm sure the, the Louvre and the British Museum also probably have stuff that they don't want people to know that they have. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, who knows what kind of secret artifacts are under there in their sub-sub-basements. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I think there's a little room here. Okay. okay. Load, load the stuff out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me just carry this out here. Yeah, you got the... Okay. Uh, yeah. Our... Okay, cool, cool. Ooh, mm -hmm. what's in this room? Oh my god, look at oh. this door. This door oh. is like... This door is like two feet thick. Yeah. Oh uh... my god, what is in here? Joe, what is know. this? I don't know. Oh Let's take god. a look. Is there a light switch? 
Uh, yeah, here. Oh, okay, flip it on. Yep. Holy cow. Whoa. Oh my god. Whoa, are you seeing this? Yeah, this is... Have you been here before? No. Oh my what god. What is this? I think this is a uh, fallout shelter, like... Uh, yeah. From... Oh my god. This, this yeah. looks like it hasn't been touched in decades. Yeah, it's gotta be from like the 50s, right? Oh my god, yeah. There's a manual here, How to Survive the Inevitable Cuban Invasion. Oh god. Well, that didn't age well. No. How, how, to, how to speak Russian? Okay, that's kind of useful. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, the furniture is wild, too. I mean, I feel like I'm playing like Fallout 3 all over again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, the thing about mid-century modern furniture is like, yes, the legs are cool. I am concerned Mm -hmm. how much of it is like made of like plywood. Ooh, very true. That's a good point. But otherwise, very cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody, come on in here. Let's uh, yeah, let's let's hang out in here because I feel like this is cool. A okay, so if we're here in this fallout shelter built into our museum, yeah, that we've just discovered. So clearly, people have thought that the world was going to end multiple times in history. It looks that way. Yes, this one's also really big. I have to say, it's rather spacious. You know, I always yeah, think of it yeah. like bunkered in. But yeah, um, I feel like that's happened more than once, right? We don't get these weird apocalyptic thoughts out of nowhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, but also we really, as 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 humans, as creatures with imaginations, we sure, sure. also are very tempted to imagine it as much as mm. you know, as as much as we dread it. That's yeah, the fantasies. That's very true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh. I mean, what? What's yeah? I did, mean, did you partake in any like post-apocalyptic literature uh, in general, or or during uh, quarantine? I didn't. No, not necessarily. I didn't really read uh, much post-apocalyptic literature during. I did have this weird thing though. That maybe it's fitting for the topic. When I came back uh, to the United States, fleeing Europe, mm-hmm. um, I was when I was in, <laughs> well, yeah, when I, <laughs> which I'm making sound way more dramatic, but it was kind of. Um, I I did this thing where because I, I was quarantined in my house in my room, and the way I spent some of my time was I watched uh, post-apocalyptic movies, hmm. but specifically like. Um, Bong Joon-ho movies. Mm. Like, you know, director of Parasite and whatnot. And I wanted to watch um, Snowpiercer real bad. Right. Again, which, you know, is the one that just takes place on a train that never ends and circles the world every couple years Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, it could... What if if Snowpiercer takes place in the same, like, post-apocalyptic world that, like, Thomas the Tank Engine clearly takes place in? (laughs) Oh, no. I hope not. The train actually has a face on it, but they didn't (laughs) didn't show you. (laughs) It's in the deleted scene. Hi there. My name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game. Even though he doesn't know anything about it, 
We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. But I also watched um, Train to Busan. Oh, a lot of which, trains. Well, yeah, actually. But what's weird is that movie, I didn't. I mean, that has a quarantine in it and a very strict one, and I'm watching that trapped in my room, and I'm just like, this is weirdly <laughs> cathartic. Like, there's something strange about watching an apocalyptic movie while in the midst of one that you think is happening as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about you? Um, I mean, yeah, definitely Parasite was watching parasite with you and david while we were in florence mm. um that was definitely an experience uh, oh for sure did we I, so much of last year blends together i don't even remember if that was before or after quarantine started uh it was during spring break before we took it very seriously because kate was oh. over yeah, and then we watched, and then we watched the lighthouse with everybody like a couple days later. That was the last time we had people over, I think. Right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the lot because we had a, a bunch of our friends. Um, well, in other news, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what what warning signs of twenty twenty did you not take seriously? <laughs> God, for real, man. Well, like I will never forget back in like. Oh, God, was that December or January? I think it was December. I want to say December or maybe November where I went to a screening, I think in St. Mark's Church in Florence, Mm. of A Plague in Florence. Oh, my God. Yeah, which is a, it's like a 20th or maybe 19th century, no. It's a German expressionist movie, so earlier 20th century Black and white film, very hard to find, and only with German subtitles, and it's completely silent. I'll make oh. that very clear. And uh-huh. it's like, yeah, and the whole, like, it's it's very interesting, and you're watching it, and I'm like, wow, this is really good. But it's, mm-hmm. oh my God, foreshadowing. Like, the radar of foreshadowing was just going <laughs> off now, right? Because it was so, like, oh my God. God. I think back to that, and I'm like, man, you know, it was right there. It was right mm-hmm. there. Well, remember the year before we, you know, we went to the Venice Biennale titled May You Live in Interesting Times? Yeah. God. Yeah. What a t- what a title, right? Yeah. Like, just foreboding everything. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, my yeah. God, I'm never going to let that down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but as far as myself, I, I don't know. Post-apocalyptic fiction wasn't always my jam. Yeah. Um I've I've read a couple. I think I think I thought of apocalypses a little is that the plural apocalypses? I, I think know. it's already plural. But... I I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say apocalypses. <laughs> okay. Um, because I like the way that sounds. Uh <laughs> regardless of that it is the proper uh term. Um again since we have multiple listeners that I know speak Greek, uh, feel free to reach out to me on that one. Um, <laughs> again, I'm also assuming it's Greek. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of things, as I always Yeah, do. it's okay. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So, um, 
I was always sort of fascinated with this idea of sort of apocalypses have already happened in the past and we sort of already live in the aftermath of them. Um, I mean, dystopian stuff is always interesting to me because, you know, they're trying to see where the trends mm. of today are leading to, you know, where private interests or corrupt governments will, you know, uh, uh, meddle in yeah. the affairs of, you know, the private citizen to some extent. I, you know, I, w- I was a fan of the Hunger Games growing up. Okay. But I was also, from a young age... I was just given so many books that I feel like presented the lost world of the past um, mm. that now is is the uh, is the aftermath. Um, I mean, at least in elementary school, for some reason, we read a lot of Scott O'Dell books, um, the most famous oh. of which being Island of the Blue Dolphins. But I huh. read like multiple books by him, which oh wow! Basically, to, to summarize, every Scott O'Dell book uh, is a uh, young native child comes into contact with the Spanish, and their entire civilization, society, family uh, is lost and destroyed, and um, they have to come of mm-hmm. age while also witnessing the destruction of their culture yikes yeah okay. or or even if it was like not necessarily from a native perspective like we read a land remembered very young which is a series okay. of three novels taking place in uh kind of uh basically covering civil war era to uh basically modern i mean modern like first uh, first few decades of 1900s uh, mm. florida okay and sort of ba- basically tracking three generations of this family that moves to florida starts farming becomes you know uh becomes wealthy and basically watches the decline of florida's environments and natural resources uh but also like feeling like we are less free now or something interesting very anthropocentric yeah and also you know it's definitely uh you know told from a settler colonialist point of view they don't really you hear more about the displacement of native americans than you ever see it Hmm. but and but they don't really they they're pretty explicit that the you know the native americans are watching i guess in, in the geography of this book they're probably supposed to be seminoles mm-hmm. um but they're watching you know everything uh fall away around them yeah and wow you know by by the end of the book the the family is all the original characters are, you know, dead at that point because it's been generations and everything. And uh-huh. you're just sort of looking around at this desolation, this, you know, what was presented at the beginning of the book series as this wild and crazy open land of Florida uh, is now 
a, a completely different landscape in terms of the people that live there and the the types of things that you find and come across. Hmm. Yeah. And it, it's I feel like I feel like that that very sort of disturbing concept always tantalized me that you know you live you live on top of the bones of the people that were there mm. before like especially me always being interested in dinosaurs even like all of the worlds that i was fascinated with growing up all of the prehistoric right. creatures i would read about all of that was gone irreversibly gone so there yeah. was that was kind of my perspective on it i was never kind of fascinated in to like imaginary uh, d- uh apocalypse because i was so fascinated huh. with the idea that we were already in one. Oh wow that's actually a really interesting hot take from that or maybe yeah. not a hot take that's not the right word but like Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny. I'm I'm totally the opposite on mm-hmm. that. I think yeah. growing up, I very much was into a. F- I I don't know. I think maybe escapism is the right word. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, this is kind of not boring per se, but I, I like I would rather escape into a different world than see this one. I guess through you mm-hmm. know. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't think that way as much now, but I think that's why I liked fantasy or sci-fi so much more. Mm-hmm. But even, like, in regards to Apocalypse, like, like I played a lot of Fallout 3 and New Vegas and stuff, which mm-hmm. is, like, if you don't know, um, it takes place after... I think it's, like, in the 2000s, but basically civilization in the United States never went past um, the 1950s as an aesthetic. And we figured out how to make like nuclear energy for everybody and whatever. And Hmm. it led to a massive demise in a huge nuclear war. And Mm. you're playing in this like fictional version of the post-apocalyptic United States, but it becomes a science fiction fantasy game of its own. I mean, really it's a reskin of like Skyrim and stuff, but you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting take, but at the same time, it it plays this sort of, okay, this is the message of the world if we don't change our ways, but also, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's a new, there's new people, there's new uh, enemies and people mm-hmm. to talk with, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. But, like, it's so interesting to hear, you know, th- you th- your thoughts on that coming from someone who knows a lot about fossils and dinosaurs and that specific part of history, that it's like, you are aware it already happened that there's already so much loss that's kind of accumulated. And then yeah. there's this whole, there's this whole other, I think, vision that people have where it hasn't even happened yet. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't claim to maybe, maybe I, I definitely, this is not a concept. I would, you know, that's unique to me. I would say I arrived mm. at it independently, but it is one of those things that once you sort of, realize that uh, that idea in your own way you start to see other people that have confronted that concept in the past and i think that is always a very comforting thing about academia is Mm -hmm. sometimes you do have a thought that is very distressing and once you do research it and you find other people that have had that thought it's so much more comforting yeah honestly to, to find that other people have written about this but, you know, one one perspective that I 
I can't say, I can't claim to have always uh, been aware of or always had on my mind, just, Mm -hmm. you know, just because of, you know, no fault other than who I am. This is a concept that is uh, not totally, that does exist sort of outside of white literature, let's say, or Western European literature that, you know, um, a lot of people that are, uh, you know, of uh, indigenous descent or people that are uh, living in a diaspora, people that are, you know, living in parts of the world where uh, they are the descendants of slaves or, um, you know, refugees. Mm-hmm. You know, for you know, certain societies, the apocalypse kind of already happened. They are living in a dystopia. If, you know, if you're living on a, uh, depending on where you are, if you're living on certain, you know, Native American reservations or, uh, you know, or uh, certain Aborigine communities in Australia, Torres Strait Islanders, you are living uh, in a world where, uh, your your sovereignty and culture has, you know, th- there have been real efforts to completely erase it. Yeah, um, that's, um, you know, if wow, uh, yeah. I think that's why you see now, now that there's sort of more, as there are more and more, you know, non-white Western voices being heard, I think that's why you're, you know, you're seeing like something like Afrofuturism mm. to me, yeah. at least very much reads as a, as a response, as an answer to the way that we typically want to picture a technological, um, you know, uh, dystopian future, because it's really you know, people that are in, I'm not going to say that every author that's ever written dystopia had a perfectly easy life. I'm I, I am in no way saying that, or like that, that authors, creative people, directors, that all of these people did not face real struggles in their life. But I do think that you have to be coming from a certain level of uh, comfort and privilege to sort of partake in sublime media to imagine mm. discomfort and to imagine to imagine a challenge to uh your uh your status quo that in some way protects uh your station in life yeah that's a good point too um yeah that's actually very interesting because it's i think for a lot of maybe i'm making a broad generalization but i think for a lot of the authors too that kind of use it as a trend or this topic of um, dystopia, which I think like the dystopia was very hot in the last couple of years. I don't know if it's gonna be. Um, yeah. Here's Joe's future book trends, but the, <laughs> regardless, right? I don't know why I just thought of that, but I think like um, that's a very specific perspective that a lot of these authors have that I think we're gonna see more nuance of, and we are. I mean, like yeah. you said with Afrofuturism, you definitely are getting more of that now because. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I mean, that's such an interesting and very true way to look at it, that there are lots of cultures who have both already lived through 
and maybe don't even survive an apocalyptic fate or are yeah. in the midst of one and yeah. that that's so wow that's so much to kind of think about but and that's I, the temptation i think, I, I think cy- cyberpunk yeah like wants to open up oh or, yeah you know we want to because I, I don't know if people imagine the future as star trek anymore where um mm. maybe because I, I think if, if you look at Star Trek, they were anticipating, okay, we're going to have a multi-ethnic future with uh, a world that yeah. is pretty homogenized. Um, and, you know, there's there are things that are of the time <laughs> that are in Star right, Trek. But right. also, like, that was a very hopeful future. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but now you see more people that want to say that you know it's not just enough that we all survive and make it into the future. It's that we don't mm. we don't all end up with one uh, with one culture, with one language, with one yeah. way to our to express ourselves. I think you're seeing people. You know, even with with how prolifically people use labels now, we want to feel like we belong to any kind of community that is different from the mass culture that we are bombarded by every day. Oh, yeah. I have um, two things with that, actually, because I was just uh, I'll lead with this and then into my other uh, point in regards to the Star Trek cyberpunk kind of look at the future. But I actually was just kind of recently having a conversation with somebody about this. Um, mm-hmm. where I, I, cause I was questioning, I think why you see a lot of people wanting to know more about their own culture and particularly of European descent, mm-hmm. because I think for others, it makes a lot of sense, right? For like, because at least in America, because you have such a melting pot of peoples, there's also this sort of universal, uh, whiteout of things mm-hmm. that it's, mm-hmm. it's American. It's. Mm-hmm. It's if you're an immigrant family, you become Americanized. You assimilate. Um, yeah, assimilate, exactly. And like, but also kind of, you have other cultures emerge from that, you know, specifically like black culture coming out of just, you know, one, the horrors of slavery, and then also not being able to trace things back. And I think about that a lot about, I guess, the privilege I have of being able to kind of do that, to mm-hmm. trace back my my origins. But then questioning, I guess, the there's something interesting in that, like why now? Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I for one can say, like I was not interested in being Italian when I was younger, mm-hmm. at all. I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care about my culture. I didn't care about where I came from. Like it wasn't important when I was like thirteen, fifteen. I wanted to be some, you know. I was interested in other cultures. I guess I was interested in something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I think about that, I guess more now because yeah. it was like, well, because it, it wasn't like I don't think recently I became more interested in my own heritage, but like. I guess kind of questioning why, because there's also like, I can, I guess I can speak for like the Italian side, you know, in Italian culture in America, there's kind of a, like, um, a manipulation and just a wrongness on how a lot of it's been translated to like, Mm -hmm. you know, what you stereotypically think about Italians being right. Because it's just Mm -hmm. a lot of things lost in translation. And Mm -hmm. I, and I think rather than complain about it, because I complain about it a lot, I've been starting to kind of be like, okay, well, why is this happening? And why mm-hmm. is tradition being lost? Or maybe it's being imagined? Mm-hmm. Um, but really kind of my, I guess not my conclusion, but my where I'm at right now is this idea of that 
I think even, I guess, quote unquote, like white people or just people of European descent who come from just being raised American and not really having a cultural background, I think there's this real big questioning of, well, wait, what is my identity besides the sort of American one? Because I think once you realize, I don't know about you, but at least for me, I don't really want to be attached to an American ideals as my identity, right? I think I'm more than that. But I also think there's a danger in uh, just wanting to latch on to one thing or another. And I'm specifically talking about Eurocentric kind of um, trying to, you know, figure out what Mm -hmm. your cultural identity is. Because it's very different depending on what part of the world you're from and where your family comes from. Yeah, there's... I, I can't remember if I've spoken about them before, but there's this population of um, African-descended people living in uh, modern-day Jordan. Um, hmm. They consider themselves dark-skinned Arabs. They're, um, you know, they practice Islam. They have uh, no remnants of African language, culture, or practice hmm. anything they've, right. they've scrubbed it from their culture because for them because in reality yeah in in but let's and let's say in the anthropological archaeological world if if we're going to look at that at through that facet they are the descendants of slaves brought to the region by mm. arabs right um for them, that is incredibly painful. They do not like to talk about it. They do not like to confront it. So what they, their response to the racism that they have suffered for centuries, um, you know, is pretty different from how black Americans, uh, that are the descendants of slaves, uh, treat it, which is, you know, trying to, in some ways reclaim African culture in other ways, uh, uh, you know, uh, really embrace the unique African-American specific, the rich culture that exists Mm. independently in this country. Rather than doing that, they, they really try to erase it from their identity. Interesting. Yeah. It's very, it's a very different kind of um approach to it um i mean yeah yeah because yeah we have we have uh a, a bit of a we as as white americans you know we do have mm-hmm. some knowledge of where our ancestors come from which is a huge um which is a which can be a huge difference compared to some other people i mean yeah i had I had a adopted set of, uh, I think, great grandparents. So I can't be sure where everybody came from. I mean, for me, as far as I know, there's probably some British Isles. There's on my mom's side, there's Italians. On my dad's side, it's some, um, you know, uh, Prussian Jews, mm-hmm. uh, a German, you know, possibly Russian, you know. Yeah. I, I don't really know. And, you know, that's coming from, I think, a generation that did not like talking about the past, did not want to look back at um, what there there was a generation that was so gung ho on assimilating, mm. you know, that 
they refuse to teach their children Yiddish or Italian, you know? Yeah. The name of the game yeah. was to assimilate. Okay. Like take, take my mom's family, for instance. Um, sure. So my mother's grand, my mother's mother's last name is Mongeli. Um, as I believe they're, they were from uh, Bari. Okay. In Southern Italy, you know, like right above the heel of the boot. Yeah. And my grand, my maternal grandfather's last name was Spence. I can't remember entirely, but I think he took that from his stepfather. But basically mm. a very, you know, kind of, uh, kind of waspy last name. Yeah. So none, while my mother's cousins had very Italian names, you know, um, all of her and all of her siblings deliberately have the most kind of generic yeah american build a bear names oh, you could oh, wow. you could have you know cuz they're you know Robbie, Marty, Patty, you know it's you know my my grandmother is not Catalina Mangelli, she's Kathy Spence now you know wow yeah that's a big difference you know there was an idea you did not want to be known to be Italian. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 and then, I mean, on my dad's side, my dad knows almost nothing. My, my grandfather never talked about yeah. what, what, what it was like in Europe. Like just never talked about it. We know he mm-hmm. was possibly from Poland, modern day Poland <laughs> okay, um, and was a Freemason. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I we can yeah. only know so much else. No, I get that. I mean, I, like as someone who's kind of been, you know, working with past family archives and whatnot, it's it's hard. And a lot of people, it's it's very different now. I think the looking at it than before. But like, I mean, I think for me, my I, I experienced that kind of firsthand because like I wasn't taught. I was only taught my language, like my um my mother's language for a little bit when I was younger, but it was deemed more important to speak English first, yeah. not Italian first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that, right? Like, I, I don't know, I, I'm always going to be annoyed, but never in a mean way. Mm-hmm. Just, I think, in a frustration of that's what we're kind of told to do. Mm-hmm. But again, like, I think it's... Yeah, it's an interesting, I think, thing... To try to go back and find your own cultural identity outside of an American universal one. But especially right now, because we want to demonize everything yeah. that we will say about quote-unquote American culture. Like, I think we are... Like, one, one time I was, I was sifting through a thrift store in, like, Vermont or something, and there was a book called uh-huh. The History of the New Englander. Oh, or like Tales okay. of New England. And it was talking about the modern day New Englander. And I was, I read like the first chapter just for kicks. And it's sure. like the modern day New Englander is a descendant of the Yankee. What? And the Yankee is a descendant of the Pilgrim and the oh, Puritan. Uh, okay. And it was very interesting reading about that just because, you know, it's not like, this book is blatantly false everything it's not like you can say everything in this book is blatantly false but i don't 
think that many people in New England think of themselves as the cultural inheritors <laughs> of the Puritans. No. I have met a few people who do, though, who, like, mm. will actively say that they were part of the, um, that they were from that kind of lineage. But not in, a, not in an aggressive way, though, of course. I think, I, I, I see, too, what you're getting at, and I agree. Because there's, I want to make it clear, too, there's something very, um, anxiety-inducing of mm-hmm. people who want to swap. Mm-hmm. who want to swap cultures real fast because you're mm-hmm. bored with your American one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a certain, dare I say, privilege to that, mm. to just kind of like generalize everything and not, uh, to not totally understand a complex culture, broader cultures, and even smaller mm-hmm. ones in the United States. Because like, not everybody's a traditionalist, mm-hmm. you know? And that even that, like, like I'll use my own example. I, I really don't like Italian traditionalists because they tend to be very racist and super mm-hmm. ethnocentric, you know, mm-hmm. because like, it's, let's say, like, let's take American Italians. If you live in America yeah. and you're Italian, you are probably raised very racist or you believe that Christopher <laughs> Columbus is your saint. It's well, true, though. What, it's what true. culture were you raised by? Oh, I was raised racist. but it's but it's embedded it's like it's this sort of inherent thing at least in like a very specific south philly new york mindset but but okay okay here's the interesting thing though Uh uh-huh uh and i realize we're getting very off topic from our thing (laughs) of of talking about the apocalypse Um, yeah i can i'll I'll say unless unless the apocalypse ends up being you know uh (laughs) <laughs> ends up being caused directly by Italians. They're like, ah! we started Western civilization. We're going to end it. God oh damn my it. God, I hope not. <laughs> Jeez. Um, and, they, and yeah, and I, who knows who started Western civilization? I don't Honestly. Know. Um, so here's the thing, though. On both the left and the right, you have that mm-hmm. rallying cry of reject modernity, embrace oh. tradition. Yeah. On the right, it's being touted as and basically trying to promote ethno states. Yeah. Um, on the left, it's more of their modern society is so irredeemable and so corrupt that we must mm. divorce ourselves from it entirely. And we can't even if you're Christian, let's not celebrate uh, Christmas anymore. Let's just celebrate the Yuletide. Uh, yeah. And, y- you know, like like all the people that, like, really have an affinity for, like, Irish culture right now. Because, you, you, yeah. you, in America, chances are we all have some Irish blood in us. Probably. Uh, yeah. Um, that being said, I feel like people want to say... I'm Irish because the, the Irish are a, a, a proud historic lineage mm-hmm. of people who are themselves the subjects of colonialism. There's like kind yeah. of like some kind of innocence you can adopt with it. Yeah. And I think you could maybe say that for Italians too, you know, the, cause let's, mm-hmm. let's not, you know, completely erase the fact that Italians did, you know, face prejudice when they first, yeah, uh, arrived in uh, the Americas. Uh, no, it's it's important. It's an important part, and it sets the stage um, for a lot of things. I think I think with that, um, 
with the Italians, yeah, I don't want to dis- necessarily discredit that part either because I feel like mm-hmm. people kind of like dismiss it, and we shouldn't dismiss anything. But yeah, I guess I guess what I'm getting at with it is that there's something very interesting about relearning where you come from. And yeah. so I don't I don't want it to come off with me harshly criticizing American Italians because that's something that's happening more now. Um but also by Italians, right? By like because because Italians it's it, I'm going a million ways at once, but Italians are an ethnicity and a nationality and that needs to be addressed number 1. Um mm. because they're different. Mm-hmm. And also I there's this thing I've been kind of, I think, I guess, provoking and asking is to just start, you know, ask your ask people that, you know, ask your family members where your traditions are coming from and why mm-hmm. you follow them. Mm-hmm. And then do, I guess, the research in a way of figuring that out, but also kind of just like roll with it, you know, mm-hmm. because like, I guess for me, I, you know, I growing up kind of in a weird state of being actually american italian but then also actually italian as a european citizen i don't really fit in to the italian kind of cookie cutter state back there because i didn't grow up there Mm -hmm. so it's like even though i have residency in sardinia i'm not really sardinian like i guess mentality wise or identity wise i have Mm -hmm. my cultural roots there very very directly Mm -hmm. um but I guess it's almost like a weird state of like, I could go live in Italy and I'll still feel like a tourist and I could live mm-hmm. in America and, I can, and I'll still feel like a tourist. So, mm-hmm. and, and with that being said, to segue back to my point about a cyberpunk, when we went around a little <laughs> bit, but this all makes sense. This all makes sense because- Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, what you're touching mm-hmm. on is something that I think is more universal than, you know, yes. even if even if we take the, out the, the equation of- uh, of our own privilege and stuff there are different versions of that that a lot of people feel that, yeah yeah you know you feel you can feel like an outsider in your own uh in your own country mm. but af- after a certain level of assimilation even if you mm. want to rediscover your roots whatever that means to you however you right. want to define that you are going to go back to where you feel like you're family mm-hmm. comes from and you are going to realize that you are a also a product of where you have yeah. grown up um, yeah exactly but but okay but i mean if we're looking towards the future and we are looking mm-hmm. for what our speculative fiction is we want to have i, I guess we're trying to imagine what that will mean mm-hmm. in the future i I mean, for me, like me and my roommates have been watching Battlestar Galactica, mm, which interesting. On top of taking place very far in the future, although they still have corded phones and record on tape huh. and do manual like reams of paper that print out of printers. Um, okay, and they also <laughs> know what hot dogs are, but they've forgotten where Earth is. Um, all right that's a bit and everybody okay everybody speaks okay i've talked about this before where there are like as far as i know there are only two british characters in battlestar galactica that we have encountered that i guess are sure. from the british part of <laughs> whatever the the the, the colonies the yeah the colonies. british isle the british yeah, planet the, the british planet 
Jesus. <laughs> but also I started noticing something that uh, the actor that plays Commander Ty mm. is, I was like, I just heard him say something and then I realized, what, is, is he Canadian? And he was just like, huh. and suddenly I could not unhear that Commander Ty speaks with a Canadian accent. Wow. And me and my roommates were just laughing once we pointed it out and just be like, oh, we got a fight over there, Cylons there. You know, <laughs> oh, oh the God. Cylons, no. You know. Um, oh, man. And like. <laughs> I'll tell you what, bud. <laughs> oh, you betcha. Uh-huh. You can bet your ass, those Cylons. But like I, I can't hear unhear it in the way he says Cylons. Yeah. Cylons. But yeah, you know, it's like, is he from the Canadian <laughs> descended part of Caprica oh, wow. or whatever planet he was from? Sure, um, sure. But yeah, no, no. Just this the we want to imagine in the future what will you know, Dune does this to some extent where mm. um, uh all of these religions have evolved and changed and morphed and joined in the future and uh, you see the shadows of the yeah what would be the ancient earth religions of right uh in at least the first book of dune like uh it seems like catholicism and uh aspects of islam too right I want to, um, that's an interesting kind of thought when you get into the science fiction kind of versions of these, like the, which I guess is almost the post-apocalyptic thing in itself when Earth is no longer there. Yeah, or, or even in, in, in the Hunger Games where they reference that the places that they are in, like Katniss says at one point in the books that where she lives used to be called Appalachia. Right, 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 yeah. So, like, with these... I guess like science fiction universes too. And like the it's apocalyptic in itself, Uh, kind of going back to what, when was star Trek was mentioned in this sort of idea of a, I guess like a pan racial earth, but they don't address it and everybody's uniform in one. Um, And that happens a lot. You see it in star Wars. You see it, I guess in Battlestar Galactica as well, where humanity Mm -hmm. becomes humanity. They're no longer culturally diverse within that because it would be too complex to, to spread out halo does this too they're very popular for doing that i've been playing cyberpunk 2077 recently way too much um and yes on a base console and yes it's miserable however what type what type of uh i I heard you can customize your dick yeah you can get the penis one or the penis two so take your take your pick (laughs) i didn't know there was an upgrade zan but uh (laughs) (laughs) oh man but no it's it's uh it's all right but the thing that's interesting about it the world that it's set in is you know it's this sort of futuristic america and you know there's no real like states anymore it's kind of like districts or cities and like it's taking place in night city which is like la so it's surrounded by desert and whatnot And there's multiple different like groups that you can kind of side with the thing i i enjoy very much in the lore though and it could be something interesting to see both in fiction and possibly the future is mm-hmm. There's no one language. Everybody speaks the language they're comfortable with. Mm. Because one, there's translators that people have if you have the cybernetics. But even if you don't, it's kind of just expected Mm -hmm. you learned a bunch of languages. Mm -hmm. So you have multiple ethnic groups living in Night City, you know, Russians, um, Hispanic culture, specifically Mexican at some point, too. Japanese, Chinese, um, 
Anglo-Saxon, I guess, as well. You know, there's there's multiple different groups. Creole is spoken mm -hmm. very actively, and they refuse to translate, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> um, and and I and I quite like that. But there's something very fascinating about this idea of a very, I guess, advanced humanity that just has accepted the cultural differences, mm -hmm. but also it it just kind of kept going with that. But instead of assimilating, it's completely the opposite. And it's more or less everybody still interacting, but through their own means and comfortable ways. Because there's really no, like, right language, right? Yeah. Like, we, like, we use English due to imperialism, let's be real. Like, and I guess because it's, mm -hmm. yeah, no, literally, I don't even want to, I guess, even, I guess, debate that to a certain extent. Because, like, I think it's, it's the most widely spoken for a reason. And I guess you could argue because of economics as well. But, like, what if it wasn't, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like, I think that's why I am very much, I don't know, interested in, in what if people just spoke their own language they were comfortable with? And what if we could potentially yeah. translate that? But also, what if we just, like, learned it, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, okay. There's there there's this book that came out in 20, uh, uh, 2007 uh, by Michael Shavon, the kind of... He, he writes like a lot of mysteries, science fiction, stuff like that. But he wrote okay. this al alternate history novel oh. called The Yiddish Policeman's Union. Um, and uh, Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's in, it basically uh, diverges from our own timeline in 1942, where this guy gets hit by a car and dies. And uh, he, he was like a delegate from Alaska. And basically, because he died, um, a uh, a bill went through Congress that let the Ashkenazi Jews escape from uh, Europe huh. and go live in a temporary colony in uh, Alaska. Interesting. In the Alaskan Territory. And basically, the novel is kind of a murder mystery, but also there's like some political intrigue and... They're sort of, uh, uh, you know, the idea that they themselves are the descendants of refugees that escaped right. genocide. They themselves living amongst indigenous Alaskans huh. who are, whose land is actively being occupied. Right. And, you know, the, the, there's a lot of interesting implications, but basically you're reading the book and the um you know basically all the characters are speaking yiddish to each other it's you know translated to english for you the reader right um and from what i understand michael shavon started writing the book uh just because of a a book that he describes like one of the saddest books that he has in his collection which mm -hmm. is um there there used to be this uh maybe it's still around there's a series of books that want to teach you languages and it's called like say it in french say it in german say it in creole you know right and there was and these are you know contemporary fairly contemporary books right uh -huh. um and he picked up a copy of say it in yiddish and huh. he was so fascinated by but also so profoundly sad uh, at the book because he was like, you know, yes, there are people that still speak Yiddish. There are people that, you know, teach their children Yiddish. It is a spoken language, but 
if we're being realistic, that entire way of life is is gone, is obliterated, mm. is you know that you know uh, you can't. It's 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 so. It, it is. I I I don't know. I don't know how else to to go into. You know, just uh, we have this articulated language, but it's it's a remnant of of an entire way of life that is no longer extant. You know, right? And he was just so. Um, you know, and there was there was something interesting. He was also kind of interested in the the author of that book too was um, uh, also an interesting uh, person himself. But th- that was what kind of got him to start thinking about well, what if there was a Yiddish speaking colony? Because I, that is one yeah. of the crucial things about you know the Ashkenazim um, is while European Jews were always involved in and players in European culture after, you know, um, being, uh, you know, enslaved in Europe by the Romans and then, you know, pushed about everywhere, you know, through history, you know, they never had a homeland. They never, uh, they never had a country. Um, yeah. Those 2000 years between, um, Roman occupation and the and World War Two, uh, and then the creation of Israel a few years later. Um, there, it, it's just it's a, a countryless, diasporous group of people. You know, in the same way mm-hmm. that the Romani still are to this day, in the way that a lot of um, indigenous cultures are today, where they. They, they exist they they exist on an a, an ethnographic measurable way in a culturally distinct way but they do not have uh self-determining um governments mm-hmm. right right but that is kind of the the it's it's the thought experiments of it's it's i, I think what you're describing is kind of the premise mm-hmm. of that book in, yeah. in some ways no, absolutely. It's a very similar um, idea. I quite like that, though. Just as a, just as even as just like a concept, right? Yeah. For a, for and a basically placement. what we learn at the end. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and what we learn at the end is that, um, and and this is an interesting take, I guess, for two thousand seven as well. But um, Jews should not be so desperate to retake Israel that they. Um, that they let evangelical Christians uh, help them. And I guess that's the moral of the story, and without spoiling anything. Interesting. Yeah. I mean... That we have different <laughs> interests at the end of the day. Right. That's yeah. fair. But also there's um, more of a message of home is where you make it. Okay. We like that. I think that's a very, I think that's a very good one, though. Yeah, yeah. That's. I, I guess that's a fair um, assessment. Home is where you make it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because okay, let's even think too. When you and I were, 
you know, trapped in our little Italian par- apartment with uh, our friend David. And just for mm-hmm. two months, we just woke up and we were just in the same house in the same room. And that was just how life was for a bit. Yeah. And some days were really hard and some days were easier. And we were, you know, it was unfortunate for many reasons and we were fortunate in others. To, right. You know, be trapped with at least our friends and some people mm-hmm. we know were trapped by themselves. And, you know, it really sucks that it threw a monkey wrench into you know, basically our careers as graduate students. Yeah. Um, and the the experience of the expectation that we had that we would be living in Italy for two years. Um, mm-hmm. And we were also fortunate because we at least had a place to live. Um, yeah, and our rent, true. And, you know, our rent was prepaid. So uh, we... And, and we And we had professors checking in on us every week. Right. And we had a roof we could escape to, to, you know, but yeah, there, there are, <laughs> but you know, you could get arrested if you were outside and didn't have yeah. paperwork, the correct paperwork yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, or get fined. Um, it, it was, it was scary and it was weird, but I, I mean, kind of. Well, while we're while we're talking about you know left behind worlds, um, I I believe I also I did show you um, one of my favorite films, The Last Waltz, during that period of time. Yes, it's a very good film. Yeah, it, for those of you that don't know, um, The Last Waltz is a concert film shot by uh, directed by uh, Martin Scorsese of the the. Uh, the, the rock band, the band. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the band, the band, uh, with uh, <laughs> with legendary songwriter Robbie Robertson. Yeah. And, you know, it is this very solemn uh, documentary concert film, but I think it is a proper movie, too, about sure. them giving their final concert um, at the Winterland Ballroom. And, um, you know, they're giving this concert, I think it was filmed in the mid to late 70s. It came out in 78. And it is such, it is such a interesting movie to me because you are watching the 70s wrap up in front of you and the 70s was when the 60s were still pretty fresh in everybody's memories you know every adult you saw had been you know kind had lived through assassinations and and drastic cultural change but also like every guy you saw that was you know middle-aged and up was a world war ii veteran um Mm. You know, there's people in that movie that are just from, it's not that long ago. And yet there are people in that movie that you become very aware are from a completely different world. Um, Yeah. Muddy Waters comes on stage to do a number at one point. 
and you just realize, you feel the history that is standing on stage with Muddy Waters being there. Bob Dylan comes out on stage. I mean, D Dylan isn't even that old in the movie. Dylan has a, still has a whole career ahead of him. And yet he comes out on stage and he, there's so much gravity to his very presence. And mm. all of their, they are all presented as these just haggard survivors that all the craziness of the 60s and these guys survived. These guys made it when a lot of other people didn't. Right. Um, and the weird thing about watching it now, I watched it, I, you know, I, re, I revisited it at least once a year. But one year I watched it with um, commentary from, you know, some of the uh, people that worked on the film, some of the musicians. Dr. John gives a commentary and it's kind of hilarious because oh, yeah. he's just like, this was an okay song. I guess it was, you know, it was pretty good. It was an okay song. The band made it great, but, you know, it was, it's an okay song, I guess. That's a night. That's a night. Yeah. That haunts me every day. I love that, man. But I forgot this for about the band. that. This one for the band and all the feathers. One, two. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's good. That's a good impression. Thank you. Yeah, it's almost like I've, you know, been watching that movie my entire life. Um, <laughs> anyways, but I, I forget who's saying it, but they mention the fact that the world of the last waltz takes place in then is a world that they have, you know, departed mm. from. Um, at this point, um, in, when that, uh, you know, commentary track was released, Levon Helm was still alive. But right. at that point, Rick Danko had passed away. Richard Manuel had taken his own life. So, uh, you know, there were only three surviving members of the band. Um, mm. And... You know, he said something to the effect of, we left, he's like, we're still here, but, you know, you watch the movie and you feel the world that they're in, and we left Rick and Richard behind in that world, you know? Mm. You watch that movie, and it's, you know, it's not just the way that they're dressed. It's not just, you know, the, the cool outfits and the, the music and everything you just have this very profound feeling that this is a this was a moment that we are getting further and further away from you know for better right. or for worse but you can't deny that you feel some sort of just sadness that this that any moment that any moment that you get further and further away from as time goes on you, you know, it, it leaves people behind. There's uh, people that didn't get to see, uh, did, didn't get to see themselves validated in their own time. You know, there's very famously Alan Turing uh, died long before he was pardoned by the British government for being gay. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's it, it's I, something I can't even necessarily describe or put my finger on. It is, and and it's not even necessarily in terms of uh, the, the social progress progress we've made since then. I just mean in this one instance, this 
this period of time, this aura, if uh, if I can <laughs> if I can use uh, that word, which so load, I... loaded itself, that that is uh, unattainable. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Uh, that's a lot to think about, I have to say. To quote a a white musician singing about uh, a famous period of black music uh, from the Manhattan Transfer singing about Birdland. There will never be nothing such as that. Scooby-Wah! Wow. That yeah. does sum it up. <laughs> no, it's... Yeah. Huh? It's I'm just I'm just I'm processing it all live because it's just like I don't know. I think experiencing that movie too in such a time of disarray was very yeah. interesting, and now hearing your kind of I think more thoughts on it, both existential and in this kind of category we've decided to discuss, it's. A very interesting and, and also kind of like helpful way to explain that feeling, right? Of not only change, but of, I guess, what's to come. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's... There will be more to come. Yeah, that is that is true. Um, but I guess kind of like, unlike this sort of, you know, bad art we keep talking about that's trying to like be proactive or like... I guess get ahead of the future. You know, it's very much not that direct. Things are gray and always kind of unclear. You know, to quote that, or to really butcher the quote from Parasite, where um, the dad is talking about how, you know, he stopped planning things because no matter what you plan, there's going to be a failure or there's going to be, it never, it's never going to go right. You know, if you plan something, it's never going to go right. So why plan at all? I took that to heart. I honestly, I think if anything, I, I very much do live that way, or at least I try to. And not like, I think in, in, the, in the way that it was done in the movie, but like, because that could be taken super <laughs> You just super live your life wrong. living in someone's basement? Yes, that is my, that is my goal. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I think there's something to that, to not over plan and to just, I guess, take up a moment, but to also just kind of be aware of what's happening around you in the given moment that you're in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think the the seduction of all of those things, the su- seduction of escapism, mm-hmm. e- even the, the seduction of the last waltz is to get so wrapped up in that moment. Because it's the thing that yeah. we... It's the thing that we criticize people of a baby boomer type age of yeah. quite a lot, which is that everything culturally significant happened right. in this window of time and everything else is just going to shit. Um, you know, that is a very, that is a worldview I do not share um, with, mm-hmm. <laughs> with that. Yeah. Even, a, even as yeah. someone that is fascinated with so many things from quote unquote baby boomer culture. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, history is not finished. History did not no. end in the nineties. Um, so there's, uh, y- you can't, you, you can't fall for, you, you can't fall into that trap of just yearning mm-hmm. for 
uh, those moments that have passed or the way that you feel like things should have gone. Because I think that's the thing that we feel about a lot of those things. It's like, this is how it should have been. Yeah. Instead of what it can be. Yeah, that was real music. We don't got music now. That was the real music. <laughs> the real music. You have no idea. You have no idea how much I've I've grown up hearing that, and I never understood yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you don't know what music is. <laughs> you know the thing I'm realizing. Here's the thing that I. You know what I want to say this. I want to say this right now while it's okay. on the record because I was having this conversation the other night. Uh huh. My mom saw Star Wars when it came out in the theater. She cannot tell me a single thing about Star Wars. So all of these people that want to act like everybody knew what was significant in the moment. Yeah. Full of it. Yeah. They are full of it. It was just stuff happening around them. And that is history. My, My mom could not even give me an opinion on star wars she doesn't remember oh it. god she just took some kids she was babysitting to go see it but to think she was there for a moment that even if you're not a huge star wars fan like what would that be like to see that movie That's... when it was new god um, revolutionary yeah and that there are people that just it was just another day and yeah that Ugh. that should keep you stay in the moment please yeah yeah for you real know, that's interesting take on that too or not yeah. that's that's a good way to sh- to explain it mm. you know to that reference i guess like against your mom's sake but still like it's so interesting to hear that she doesn't remember it <laughs> interesting as somebody that just wrapped up the second season of the mandalorian and will go off on it in a, in, in a good way in a in a minute you know it's just like Mm-hmm. Interest, interesting um yeah. but yeah i think attention all ucm attendees oh that we are experiencing multiple incoming cases of coronavirus here in the museum we will be activating a lockdown momentarily please stay where you are and be prepared to be there for uh, a unknown amount of time uh, uh are we are we in lockdown again Oh God! Not again! No! Did, did the door oh, just God. shut? Oh! Oh God! Oh, we have to <sighs> eat these interns. Here we. No, we we have food. <laughs> oh right. Okay, we <laughs> gotta eat canned <laughs> no. spam and beans. Are you scared? No. We're... Okay. Okay. Yeah. We got well, some... we've got we've got plenty of jarred and canned food to last us. I guess. Yeah. For this next one. So I guess. Uh, I guess you'll be joining us again next week here at the UCM uh, broad. Yeah. We'll be talking to you from uh, lockdown in the, uh, in the fallout (laughs) shelter underneath our own museum. In the sub sub basement fallout shelter. Yes. Oh man. That is is my favorite REM song. Oh, that's good. Like that. I mean, somehow, somehow we went through an entire conversation about the apocalypse and did not talk about REM. Hey, there's still time. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Well, this has been 
this has been a uh, I, I can't say it's a fun topic, but it has been a fun conversation. No. <laughs> um absolutely. Yeah. If uh uh well like we said, we'll see you next week to uh For continue sure. talking about the apocalypse as we uh ration out um some yeah. <laughs> some food that was packaged in the fifties. Um yeah. But also, we're going <laughs> to have fun. a look and a little bit of an investigation around this uh, little panic room here. Um, and hopefully we'll have some more interesting apocryphal, apocalyptic <laughs> stuff to discuss next time at the Uncanny yeah. County Museum. Um, if you would like to uh, contact us after hours, you can find me on Instagram at Xanosaurus. And you can find me on Instagram as at Josemino Art. You can message or tweet at us at at Uncanny Museum on Twitter. Um, and yeah, uh, we would love to hear from you guys. We love hearing corrections and input mm -hmm. and stories. It's really cool to hear that people are listening and that people have uh, experiences that uh, relate to the topics that we're talking about. If you have any suggestions, um, we are, now that we're in lockdown again, I guess we'll have time to read. <laughs> That's true. And now we can, you know what? We might as well, we'll, we'll have a, uh, you know, a more, I think, tour-like example for next time. Mm -hmm. Given that we have all this time now, we might as well yeah. brush up on our knowledge Yeah, here. and with now, now that we are firmly in 2021, and everybody is cautious to say this is a fresh yeah. start, because it's not really a fresh start. It's just, you know, happens to be when, when, when our calendar year resets. Uh -huh. It is a chance to mentally refresh it's a checkpoint it's yeah to, to, if, if you're a gamer out there yeah save your game now yes <laughs> <laughs> wait they want to save their game now they could have gone back this whole time oh no <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh well from the uncanny county museum i've been zan peters and i've been joe Semino. see you next time uh -huh.